Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Harlan is on. Is Ivan Lathan. And it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. I was waiting Go for you, for Junior. Go for it. Go for it. You got to see it in your eyes. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. You got to go for the feeling. What is that? It's a song. It's called Go For It. Did you make it up? Or is this a real song? Wrong. Wrong. Donnie? Which which one am I wrong about? Done. It's given MC Hammer. Who is that? Don't worry about it. Okay, Donnie, who is it? MC Breeze. <laughs> so I was close. <laughs> Halfway right. <laughs> Every and time. Why I'm listening to Go For It? Is this like, was this what you woke up to this morning? Is this what you listen to for motivation? It helped me out. Right. The song is from Rocky Five. Me and Donnie were just talking about it. Oh, Lord. The song is from Rocky Five. <laughs> There's a whole montage of Rocky's son learning how to fight as Tommy Gunn works his way through the heavyweight landscape. Rocky's spending more time with Tommy Gunn than he's spending with his son. And then all of a sudden, after the montage, the son's getting in a fight with the bully that he learned how to fight to beat. And the son goes, go for it. He says that to the bully. And then the bully. And who wins? Gets it. Rocky's kid. Oh. He beats I mean, the I've, shit out I've, of the book. You, I've never seen past the first one, and I'm I'm sure you're shocked I've seen the first one. Have you have you seen any of the Creeds? All of them. Okay, so you've seen Rocky movies because I call I count Creed as Rocky movies. Sure, but I haven't seen Rocky one through eight, whatever it is. But I've seen all the Creeds. I'm in I the Creed thought, universe. I, I have thoughts about Creed. They don't sound good. I don't feel like you're about to say something. Good. Nah, I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna save it for uh Rewatchables? Yeah. It's too soon to rewatch that, right? You don't <sighs> What you saving it for? Just go. Go for it. Go Donnie! Donnie Rach, where are you? You know? <laughs> Clearly I'm at home. Where are you? New York City. Yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. Had a big uh debut? Premiere of King, King Charles. Charles. Let me ask you a it. question. Uh, I was on King Charles, Charles Barkley, Gail King, mm-hmm. Gail King, Charles Barkley. Gail King is such a pro. Mm-hmm. Just sitting next to Gail King, you absorb it. Charles is just a, a ridiculous gentleman, such a great guy. My question is this How do I better document going on these shows? Because I saw other people that were on the show. And they had all kinds of pictures and they took pictures from the set and they did all that. And I never do that stuff. You did know, they have the somebody show, with them? Uh, maybe they did because their pictures looked uh, um, like professional. I, I don't remember seeing a photographer. They might have somebody with them taking pictures though. Yeah, you got to document like your whole time. You got to get your name on the door. 
you know, where you get ready, maybe have somebody behind you, get your walk up to get in the seat, get a picture of all four of you, however many it was, um, on stage together, get you by yourself, get your fit. You know what I mean? Tag Kalika for styling you, give her some mm-hmm. love. Like that's the, yeah, you, you just need somebody to go with you. Just one person. Yeah. Uh, it, it was great. And we didn't, and you got to let us know before so we know to watch it. Yeah, I'll That's do that next the thing. Time. Like you just said, even to us, I now I assumed what it was, but you didn't say why you were in New York and what was coming up. You got to let the people know they would love to watch you do your thing. You tell us after the fact. I'll be on it again next week. Every week. I'll be on it for the. I'll be on it for a while. I love this for you. I really yeah, do. I was, I was on CNN this morning as well. George Damn. Santos. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. What you talk I about see. last night? Santos again. Okay. I like Santos. I'm not surprised. You know, you can find the <laughs> silver lining in anybody. I like him. You know, to me, he's irreverent. He's <laughs> stupid. And he is the perfect <laughs> political mascot of our dysfunctional, intractable political climate. That's a great way to capture him. Mm-hmm. He is a political mascot. He is. He's a mascot of the unseriousness of what, what it is that we're going through. He knew Don't exactly you. what he was, what like his campaign was going to be about. It was going to be about all the things that he spent that money on. He always knew what he was going to do. Just the people mm. didn't. He was always going for Botox and Hermes and whatever else it is that he was buying. You like him? No. Yes, you do. Rachel, who's the most problematic person that you like? I don't want to answer that question. I feel like I asked you this already. I feel like I I already asked you this. I feel like the answer was Michael Jackson. MJ. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I like Michael. He's controversial. I don't know if he's problematic. He's just controversial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. But maybe that's um, what somebody who likes him would say. Yeah, I mean, you're making excuses. It's okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, have you had, we're going to get into the show. Have you had pork-based foods in the last couple of days? Yep, bacon. Mm. You're you're just like, like a, you're, you're, your new nickname is Rachel Hogmaw. Lindsay. I don't like that. And Donnie, I told you, uh, no, no. Uh, Rachel Hogmaw Lindsay. I, it's, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. Let me sit, let me marinate on it. Marinate on the Hogmaw. I told you they used to call me Petunia, which was Porky the Pig's girlfriend. That's good too. As a kid. Um, listen, I go through phases where I really eat a lot of pork and then I peel back. And I'm in a, I'm in a phase, I'm in a pork phase right now. Don't judge I'm a, me. I'm in a pork face. I'm not judging you at all. It's so good. Like, I just don't know how to stop. I'm not judging completely. You at all. Completely. All right. Um, let's get into this. Oh, you got something. Let's get into it. You, you want to no, get into no, let's it? Get into it. Let's we got into uh, it. Chuck Hoskins, the chief of the Cherokee Nation, joining us on the show today. He's going to talk about Native American Heritage Month. We just got him in. You guys, here on Higher Learning, it is very important to connect to the indigenous peoples all over the world. And we will do that. And we will talk about what it means to be indigenous. And we will talk about the future of the native people of this country mm-hmm. with Chief Chuck. Chief Chuck. Chief Chuck. 
Chief Chuck. Here I come. I'm Chief Chuck. Uh, Chief okay. Chuck. No, Chief put Chuck. some res- put some respect on that man's uh, name. I'm Chief Stop. Chuck. But think about if he Stop. walked into a room and that's what they played. You know what I'm saying? Well, he walked into a room with all his hitters and it's like, Chief Chuck, Chief Chuck. Me and my people, we don't give a fuck. Chief Chuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, they do he's give great. a fuck. And that's exactly what he's going to talk about coming up. Can't wait to have him on. He really, like, I want to know a lot more about him now that we've interviewed him uh, and we've talked to him. He seems like, to be honest with you, not just a bright shining star and a leader, for the Cherokee Nation, but someone who probably needs an elevated voice in state um, and federal politics as well. Just an amazing interview with Chief Chuck, Chuck Hoskins coming up on Higher Learning. Uh, before we get to that, big deal of the day. Ding dong. That's all I'll say. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Be dealing today, Henry Kissinger, dead at 100. He's gone. I uh, died in his home Wednesday, Connecticut. Uh, according to a statement from his consulting firm, Kissinger & Associates. He had a long career in government, statesman, former Secretary of State and National Security Advisor to President Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford. Uh, a huge role in the United States in terms of foreign policy from the late 60s to the late 70s. Recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize and legendary war criminal. Mm-hmm. Legendary war criminal. Here's the issue. Van is a deep down home country Louisiana boy. Okay. There's a issue with me Showing any glee when somebody passes away. It's not necessarily even that uh, it's like, oh, let their family mourn and all of that stuff. It's bad juju. It's the, it's a bad energy to celebrate something as permanent as that. I don't feel that. Sometimes that's tough. Like, it, 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 it's in a way for me. I don't get that sometimes. It's tough. But uh, Darth Vader died. 
and he didn't redeem himself to the light side of the force before he did. Uh, that's what has happened. This guy and the power that he wielded, the power that he wielded, and the way that he used that power and the things that he did, he's one of those ones, man. Henry Kissinger is one of those ones that throughout decades of callous, unfeeling, unthinking abuse of power killed, maimed, and affected the lives of so many people that you can't do anything other than call balls and strikes here, man. And if you're calling the game fair, this is a fucking win. And I'm sorry. I, I really apologize for feeling that this is a fucking win that he's gone. So now we can talk about, in hindsight, and now, just what a bastard he was and what he did and how it shaped American geopolitics and the lives that he took from people and what we don't want to be. It's important to discuss it in a real way. Um, hmm. Okay, a couple of things. I'm mm. not going to, I'm not at the place you are where I can just rejoice in the death of someone. And I, and I guess I have saying? a question about that. See what I'm saying? I guess I have a, well, I, cause I, I am stuck on like it being bad karma. I am stuck in being bad juju. Obviously, the things that he has done over the decades and the way he reshaped geopolitics and the way and the influence that he had, not just as a national security advisor or secretary of state, but with presidents all the way up until Trump. We saw him sitting next to Trump advising presidents on, you know, foreign politics. But my question, I guess, before I get to my other point, is how effective was he? I mean, he passed away at 100. Was he still influential in decisions that were being made? Or was he more just like a political presence in his later years? Just because because you're like ding dong, you know, you didn't finish the sentence, but the witch is dead. Um, as if, he was still making, having influence today. I know what he did is still affects how things are governed and how we, we as a country deal with foreign politics today. But in the present, was he still having an influence? So he had been put out to pasture as okay. most elder statesmen are. But I'll say this. When people, particularly famous people, pass on, they get another life, right? So you have the actual life where you live and breathe, and that's here where you do stuff and whatever. And then if you're famous or notable in any way, you get a second life. And that second life is normally where they make a legend out of you where the statues come in, where the Henry Kissinger School of This comes in, when the his, Henry Kissinger Library of That comes in, where the Henry Kissinger uh, Airport comes in. I mean, he might have some of that stuff already. I'm sure that he does, right? He's one of the most renowned and famous statesmen in the history of the country. So I'm pretty sure that he does have some of that stuff. The goal of a sanitized view of someone should be to affect their second life. I'm not going to kick a 100-year-old man, man's nuts in his ass 
while he's sitting there rolling around in a wheelchair and, you know, looking like that. I'm not going to do that. However, in discussing what figures like him mean, to me, we recontextualize our expectations and we talk about our expectations for our government and the way that we see the world. So when I'm saying that it's time to do the thing with Henry Kissinger, it's time to not kill him or time to not bury him as much as it's time to bury the archetype, the idea of Henry Kissinger, the idea of someone who would bomb, drop two million tons of bombs on a place for strategic purposes, a place that in no way was involved. And I'm talking about Cambodia here. A place yes, in no way secretly. That, was, that, that was involved in a war. A secret bombing campaign. Uh, I think he said something like, uh, when he was talking about Cam uh, Cambodia, when the orders were coming in, he was like, everything that flies on everything that moves. Think about that. Everything that flies, everything that we got, on everything that moves. Mm -hmm. the, the women, the children, the men, the soldiers, the non-combatants, the animals, the fucking spiders, the fucking lizards, just dropping that on everyone. Everything that flies on everything that moves. And if we're going to talk about things that are happening right now in the contemporary sense in, uh, right. in another part of the world about how we're dealing with civilian casualties and how we're dealing with collateral damage, not even collateral damage, this is direct damage and like even redefining if there's even a such thing as collateral damage all of the damage is damage that you fucking know is gonna happen when a fucking bomb falls from a fucking plane and hits fucking people mm. right so it, when we're talking about that we can't not talk about some of uh the architects of american warfare the architects of American irresponsibility. And he certainly was one. And that's not just there. People on the continent, people all over the place, millions of people affected, like dozens of cultures affected by this South one Africa. guy all over the place. Chile. And the fact, yeah. Chile, like and he, that he just didn't give a fuck. And in real time was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize at the same time. And people, to the credit of some of the people who were that there are some people who refused peace prizes after that didn't want to come around anymore didn't show up to others because henry kissinger had won it so we have to talk about this in a real way if it's a if it's a celebration it's not a celebration that a man lost his life it's a celebration that an era of evil gets to be discussed and an era of evil is gone yeah that he's that, i mean that's just real a couple of things um I feel like if this was 20 years ago, there wouldn't be this space to talk about him in this way. Uh, you know, you talk about what's currently happening with the wars going on. And we kind of had the discussion before about how the way the public is responding and the way we're connected through the Internet and social media is so different or seems to be louder than it was years and years ago where people just kind of accepted things for what they were or turned a blind eye to what was happening in the world, maybe because they could, maybe because they didn't care, maybe because it wasn't affecting them um, personally. 
I think 20 years ago, he would be revered all around in all media. But I do think it's interesting that we're having this space where we're talking about him as a whole, all the things that he's done, how detrimental his policies were, but they were accepted uh, back then all the way up until till now, really. Um, but the media that I've been watching today and most of it, I mean, I've obviously seen articles that discuss him not in a positive way and talk about the dark side of Henry Kissinger, but a lot of the media has been revering him. I have seen articles saying he reshaped the world. He reshaped foreign policy as, as dark as they go is that he was controversial. Um, they t- the articles are titling him as a Nobel Peace Prize, not talking about that he was awarded that Nobel Peace Prize with another individual who declined it because the war wasn't over and there wasn't peace. And he thought that the fact that he would be getting a medal for that didn't make any sense. They title him as the Presidential Medal of Honor or they receive the Presidential Medal of Honor. That's how I'm seeing most media describe him. And then most they'll say is that he's controversial. But he was a monster. I mean, you just talked about a single incident or years of it, but in regards to Cambodia, when he was interviewed by Barbara Walters, she flat out asked him, did he have any regrets? And he said that he had none. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, he would do things the exact same way. That is dark. And in regards to how I am seeing majority of the media discuss Henry Kissinger as in his legacy in a positive way, I saw somebody, and I hate that I can't credit um, the, the individual that said it, but I'm going to paraphrase what he said. In the way that, in regards to how the media is discussing him, he said that his death is becoming just as destructive as his life. And he said it reveals a moral bankruptcy of the political establishment in regards to how we're dealing with the current crisis in the world and his role in it. The fact that we are praising him and in his death is just as destructive as his life. I thought that that was very powerful. I would uh, direct everyone to read Nick Terse. This article in The Intercept. Um, Henry Kissinger, top U.S. diplomat responsible for millions of deaths, dies at 100. All right. Go out there and read that. It's on The Intercept. Many people have done great reporting on this. I'll talk about how I see it. Everything that you just said is the reason why it's important to to discuss this in a real way. Um, I have thoughts. One of the thoughts that I had is we are coming from a time, maybe 20 years ago, where mainstream news and media outlets had uh, all the power in shaping Mm -hmm. narratives and the way that we synthesize information. They told you who was important. They told you who was unimportant. They told you who the heroes were. They told you who the villains were. The thing that has changed that is our access to information. So our access mm-hmm. informa- to information is as such that, number one, misinformation is easier, but also to those who are discerning and curious, so it's truth. It's easier to just read something and then form a consensus of thought on it. 
And those ideas don't have to be in smoke-filled rooms where only people who are labeled conspiracy theorists talk. Those ideas can mainstream themselves. And any of the places right now that are reporting on Kissinger's death, that are doing it from a corporate, centrist, America-first perspective, are going to have to answer questions about why they're doing it this way. How much bad do you have to do to be a killer? How many people do you have to kill to be a killer? How many people do you have to be to rape to be a rapist? How many crimes do you have to commit to be a criminal? Are you asking me? No, I'm saying it's a question that we should all ask ourselves. How Mm -hmm. much of it do you have to do to be that thing? My thing is, he's done more than enough to be a killer. He's done more than enough to be a war criminal. He's done more than enough to be a barbarian. And the reality is, there's nothing that he done on the other side that is so vital that it undoes it. I'll give you an example of somebody. Do you know who Fritz Haber is? I do not. Donnie, you know Fritz Haber? I don't, know. Ashley, Fritz Haber? Haber? Haber, Haber? I do not. Let me tell you who he is real quick. Real quick, we'll move on to the next thing. This is a guy who solved a huge problem with the world, for the world. Huge problem. Real quick, back in the day, uh, we were running out of nutrients in the soil. Like bat guano was one of the most important things and bird guano was one of the most important things that you could have because once you till soil so many times, the nutrients in the soil go away. When the nutrients in the soil go away, then the crops that you yield from the soil are unhealthy, they're bad. Hmm. So you can only plant something so much until there's no more nutrients in it. Bat guano, I think it's like 20% nitrogen. So you can then add the nitrogen back into the soil if you have enough bat guano. There were whole wars fought in islands and stuff like that over bat guano because you needed it to to, to do the soil. But like we're running out of that. Bird guano and bat guano, we're we're running out of that, right? We're running out of that. Didn't have enough. So it was imperative that somebody invent a way to put nitrogen back in the soil. And so they were trying. A guy named Fritz Haber Haber, 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 I've read it more than I've heard it, so I'm sorry. Uh, Invented ammonia. It's a Jewish science, a a Jewish-German scientist from um, from over there. He invented ammonia. He invented ammonia. He invented, he did the whole thing and he figured out, boom, 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 the ammonia comes out and the ammonia has nitrogen in it. You can go back and you can fertilize, boom. Half the people in the world right now, probably more than half, owe their life to one invention by one guy. That same guy, when World War I came, that same guy ended up inventing chemical weapons for, war, for, uh, for, oh, wow. for the Germans. He invented chemical weapons for the Germans. Like, he invented some of the ghastliest, ghastliest chemical weapons ever known to man. Stuff that would fall into your lungs, irritate the linings, and make you choke on your own blood. Stuff that was heavier than the air so you could just drop it over a trench and it would sit in the trench and just kill people, right? Mm. Um, then established a company, ended up losing all his money because of for hyperinflation, the hyperinflation, then established a company. 
uh, and that cup. And I mean, he had a, a terrible life after he invented ammonia, right? His wife committed suicide. Uh, a lot of the international community shunned him because he became a weapons maker, the whole nine. Um, then after that, though, uh, he started a company and that company made weapons on into the 30s. He passed away. One of the weapons that 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 uh, that, that company ended up making uh, was Zyklon B. If you don't know what Zyklon B is, it is the gas that is used to uh, commit ghastly atrocities against people in concentration camps during the Holocaust. So he didn't directly invent that, but the stuff that he was inventing, the stuff that he was doing post that, he went to work for the, for the government. He thought it was his duty to end the war quickly with some of his inventions. Then after that, he was kept on for a little while. There were all kinds of things where the Nazis didn't want, obviously, Jews working for them. So uh, he, at first, was, uh, was embraced by them. And then after that, he wasn't. And then his work goes on to kill a lot of people. So he killed millions and millions of people, but he probably is one of the minds that's single-handedly responsible for the nutrition of the entire world. That is a guy that you ask questions about. Hmm. That is a guy. Like, when I think about it, that's a guy, and, like, that's a guy, you go, wow. You have bread because of him, but he also did ghastly things. I say all that to say, yeah. Kissinger ain't one of them niggas. <laughs> ain't do no bread he ain't do no cheese I guess not cheese I guess the cows still gotta eat the, the grass and stuff he didn't do no he ain't got no berries because of him what you got is a lot of in my opinion warmongering and geopolitically destabilizing American policy he's a very smart man very smart man Sure, maybe there. If I look hard enough, there are some things that he did as far as normalizing relations with 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 different powers that we were. I'm sure, but none of it was worth all the lives that he took. Right, and he didn't do anything to offset that. He ain't no Fritz Haber Haber. I gotta hear his name because I've never heard. Of, I've only read about it. Fuck him. <laughs> Moving on. Um, sorry about being so long winded. But the Fritz, the Fritz Haber Haber thing is very no, yeah, very interesting. I'd never heard of him before. Des Bryant, cowboy, cowboy's always in the news. Well, I mean, when you're America's team, that tends to happen. There you go. People want to yeah. know what we're doing. It's true, so you, man. So you 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 support him in what's what he's got going on right now? You support this? Thing. No, I said nothing about what I said. Wait a minute. Hold on for a second. Donnie, I just said jump we're on. always, I said we're America's team. <laughs> jump, Donnie, jump on real quick. Now, I know yeah. that, Donnie, it's your job to always side with Rachel. Donnie, what the fuck, bro? You look like you're coming from a Bob I, Ross painting. I actually, like, let's, what, just like, bro, a segment. The shit, let's just start bro. a segment where we have Donnie <laughs> like, turn on his camera. Because Donnie, look it's how fucking beautiful that is, bro. Yeah, I, like, I, my like, camera, I think, right is now. like coming through really clear. That's look, what it is. What's happening right now? Like, that is, like, where Donnie, bro. Hey, this is Jacksonville. Jacksonville is really pretty. The weather's nice down here. Wow. But, yeah, it's nice. The trees beautiful. 
I think my camera is really coming from nuts. The sky is, you look the, like you're in heaven. Heaven. You like you, it's you the time of like, day. Yeah. Bro, you look like you're sitting up there amongst the clouds right now. God came dying. With the ancestors. See? No, you I'm telling you, bro. It feels good, yeah. You look like one of the ancestors with that haircut. Um, So, Donnie, what, did Rachel, did, what Rachel just said, it could be read as supportive towards Des Bryant, yes? It was more supportive towards the Cowboys, which I guess by extension goes to Des Bryant. It's a it reach. Was like, it's a reach. Yeah. I feel similarly about Michigan. You were saying that it's a it's an institution that people just want to talk about. And Donnie. I get it. Like, Cut the fucking I, I camera. Donnie. Cut the Donnie. camera. I get Donnie. it. Bye-bye. Michigan versus Bye-bye. everybody. Donnie. Bye-bye. <laughs> I am excited um, for Michigan right now. But ain't nobody talking about Michigan unless y'all do some fucked up shit. <laughs> like y'all um, like, I fuck with Michigan. We love I, to I'm, talk about all the stuff that Harbo's doing <laughs> illegally. I, I, Allegedly. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm rooting for Michigan. By the way, I fuck with Dez Bryant. So I'm just saying. In this one, Dez is probably a little off kilter. All right. So Dez kicked Malika Andrews' ass. Uh, for, no, for no reason. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Y'all, <laughs> well, look, leave her. Uh, like, get off Malika, please. A lot of people were on her, right? Like, it's it just, she's, she's, she's got a reputation. I don't know if it's fair. I don't know if you it's guys not. know. We, we talked about the Josh Giddy situation here. And how he's under investigation for what people believe, some believe, should I say, is an improper relationship with an underage girl. And because of this, Malika Andrews, who obviously covers the NF, the NBA for ESPN, people started going in on her, like all over the place, saying, why aren't you covering this the same way that you covered other guys? Of course, very notoriously, when Brandon Miller, who is a a, a player for the the Charlotte Hornets was drafted, Malika Andrews brought up, to me, not inappropriately, very appropriately, the fact that he had, he had been involved, at least uh, tangentially, to a murder. And recently. Had, like, yeah, it was very that, recent. Yeah, that happened while he was playing at Alabama. Look, he didn't kill nobody, but the allegation or the story was that, we talked about it here, that he was in a car that drove and brought a gun to someone, and then that gun was used to kill a woman who was a mother. And so that, to me, is it's very non-controversial when he is drafted to bring that up. It's something well, that was probably... he was the owner of the gun. He was the... That's what I'm saying. Allegedly. Allegedly. I mean, all of that stuff is under investigation. It seems as if Brandon Miller has been cleared of anything that he could be criminally culpable for. In that situation, but still, uh, that is a part of his story. And while there are other times that I think maybe Malika's had a little bit too dip on a, too much dip on the chip, I don't think that that was one of them. And that seems well, to be what the Des Bryant was mad about. It's also the setting, right? During the draft, in the setting, this wasn't her reporting in 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 a sense, like because they also brought up the 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 coach that that came after Ime Adoka. Like they they the coach that, was the coach to me th- to me Joe Mazzulla to me that was a little bit so I, there were I, that, all three yeah. so it was that it was Brandon Miller and it was also Des Bryant like that was like the trilogy of people basically saying Malika's always got it out for black men particularly and she didn't have the same energy for Josh Giddy and then they love to throw in that she is engaged to Dave McMiniman or whatever his name is. Sorry, is that how you say his last name? And he's yeah. white. So, you nah, know, it's that nigga like... not just white. That nigga not just white. <laughs> that nigga white. He not white. That nigga, that's a white man. Donnie, give me the sound. 
We don't play no boogie woogie. <laughs> <laughs> that nigga what? That's a what man. Right there. No, but good. I, I don't have no problem. I like David Mitchell, but that's but he not. It's all of that, right? That mm-hmm. adds to like this this hate. There's there's this group. There's this movement that just looks for anything, the low hanging fruit, to just go after Malika. And this, to me, the way she reported on Josh Giddy, I I didn't. I didn't have, so basically people also think that I'm the Malika Andrews of this podcast. So they're probably going to have some, oh my gosh, people were, the way that I talked, discussed Josh Giddy, people were saying, why didn't I have that same energy? Um, where's the same energy I had for Keith Lee that I had for Josh Giddy, which I don't Keith understand how Lee? This is a, I was getting a lot of comments what, about this. What the I was getting, fuck? There's, what, there's also a narrative with, with, with a certain sector of this audience that feels like I am anti-Black men. And they said that I went after mm. Keith Lee and I didn't have the same energy for Josh Giddy. And I do not understand how those two are the same. And I feel that same way about Malika. Like, she's a reporter. She's going to report certain things. And also, a lot of the stuff that she is reading She's not necessarily writing that stuff. She's reading a teleprompter. I mean, maybe she writes some of the stuff that she's had to report on, but I don't think that in that sense, she's got producers that are writing it for her. She's reading it. She's reporting on it. The Brandon Miller situation with the draft, that setting at the draft, when players are drafted, they start discussing them, right? Like, oh, they're born there. They went to college here. This is recent, what they've been doing in the last year. Like all that stuff becomes relevant. They don't really give their opinions, but they're talking about the player off the court as well as on the court. That setting called for that. To compare that to Josh Giddy, I don't understand what Des Bryant was doing here. I like to support Cowboy players, current and former. I can't support Des. He gave way too much energy. And what in what he was had to say about Malika Andrews, I don't understand where this was coming from or why he was so angry. I mean, he tries to explain it in his apology, but it was a reach. Des Bryant tweeted the following: Malika Andrews, you went out of your way to crucify Brandon Miller on draft day over something he didn't even do. Why haven't you said nothing about Josh Giddy? I advise you not to make this a black or white thing. Your parents really raised you wrong, and just because you went to a private school, don't make you better. You appeal, and I know you're kind. You're just a puppet. I don't know how a former or current NBA player could sit there across from you and look at you with some kind of respect. Damn, Des. That's 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 too much, dog. She I know he apologized. And we should we should say that Des Bryant has apologized. He has that's too much, man. That's too much. That's too much. Okay. And and by the way, it's too much because it wait. Anything would be too much because two things. Number one, Stephen A. Smith talked about this on his podcast. There are differences in these situations. There's much more information about the Brandon Miller situation. There was much more information available at the time that she talked about him at the draft than there is about the Josh Josh Giddy situation. Now, the Josh Giddy situation looks bad. And if you make me make a determination about it right now, I think that most likely there was something improper going on. I will say this, the girl and her family have refused to cooperate with the investigation in, ter- in the Josh Giddy case. And because of that, answers as to what actually was going on at what time and how old she were or go- she was are going to have to come from a deeper investigation that's going to be done by the NBA. So once we have the information on Josh Giddy's situation, we can then make a judgment about, number one, how much he should be playing, 
going forward, whether he should be playing going forward, and what it means for the league to stand by him if, in fact, he does play going forward. If this were a situation where this were happening during the draft where Josh Giddey was coming into the NBA, you damn well believe that someone's responsibility would be to bring that up and say, just to let you know, this guy's coming off the board at number seven, but this is all under the cloud of an investigation that's being conducted right now by the NBA and authorities where he's from about his potentially improper relationship with an underage girl. You'd have to say it. So I think in this situation, the because it wasn't just this. Malika Andrews was trending on Twitter because people didn't think that she had given enough real estate to the Josh Giddy situation or that she was treating him in a different way than she had treated some of the black men. Now, look, I did think, I did think that the Joe Missoula thing, to me, going all the way back to college for him in this situation was, I mean, not improper, but it did seem at that point a little bit, I was like, oh, for real? And uh, especially during the fact that, like, it just didn't, I just wonder why we were talking about that in, in that situation. But even if I think about that deeper, you had had Chauncey Billups that had been hired under, um, certain allegations for his past or product. Jason Kidd, it was something that was happening during this time in hiring NBA coaches and people were talking about what standards does the league set. Then her and Stephen A had a thing. So people that think that she's hypercritical of, I guess, men or in this particular sense, black men, um, I think that there's at least a conversation in how we discuss those things and past allegations and all of that stuff. I don't think that, I don't have any problem with Malika Andrews. But I, I think either. that at least we could talk about it. I don't have one zero iota of a problem with like, Andrews at all. But I uh, could see if people were saying this because she was giving opinions about th- these in these different instances and was, you know, really going in on one player versus another. But she's reporting. That's what she's doing. She's reporting. Maybe you don't like the way that she's reporting it, but she's literally telling you, Everything she's saying is factual and very similar in the entertainment business. The same thing happens when they talk about someone. You'll see like the headline will say like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example. You know, TMZ does it as well. Like they talk about when they talk about. Yes. Damn. Well, extra does it. TMZ does it. I'm not just faulting you where rather than just saying, you know, so and so got the Oscar. You know, if they're mentioning Will Smith, they're going to bring up what he did before. Like, that's just kind of how oh, they I got a, I got tell the stories. I got an example of that. Do it. Marion Barry died, and I went to war at TMZ because when Marion Barry died, they said, crack mayor Marion Barry passed away. And boy, were my people in D.C. pissed. God damn it. Shout out to D.C., man. Shout out to Go-Go Music. Shout out to Ty Dye. Shout out to my D.C. people, Howard. They weren't fucking with it. And I went to war with TMZ because I stand with D.C. And I ain't about to send Wayne Perry at me. Um, but no, but but you're right, Rachel. You're right. I mean, you're right. I don't. It, I, I did think the, the back and forth that she had with Stephen A. Smith, I did feel like that she was had a different. little dip on yeah. the chip. Dip on the chip. Dip it, dip it, dip it. Dip, that was dip different. on the chip. Yeah, that's not even what this is. Dez, people bro. just love to come after. It's, is Des okay? 
that's what when I saw the way he went after her, I'm like, is he okay? I, I think it should be said that when Dez was coming out for the draft, there was all kinds of smoke and talk around him and certain things that people were saying about him and his interviews and other stuff that were happening towards the end of his career at Oklahoma State. So some of this stuff with Dez might just be his trauma and thinking about the situation that he was in when he was about to be drafted and then connecting that to Brandon Miller. He might feel a specific way based upon his own experience. This just might be hurt people hurting people. But he was like, doing a lot of stuff, out, not like to a criminal level like that by any means, but like he kept getting in trouble. I I remember because I know his attorney or knew him at the time. This is what Des had to say. Apology rated for Des Bryant. We can move on. I ain't talking about the situation no more unless Stephen A. Smith and Malika Andrews want to talk on air. But I do apologize for coming so aggressive at Malika Andrews. But I do wonder if she even realizes how certain things look. Sports and media is a big deal to the culture. I've battled my entire sports career pleading to the world. We are more than the game we play. We just need better help. I've experienced unfairness and saw white athletes get a slap on the wrist for doing shit I know that will get you kicked off a team in a heartbeat. I really hate to make it seem like a black or white thing, but the unfairness is real. Rachel, give me an apology rating for Des Bryant. I'm going to give it a five. That's higher than normal, right? It's higher than normal because he's a fucking cowboy. Are you kidding me? I no, cannot believe a- that you get, like, you are so in the bag for Dallas. It's crazy. No, the reason I'm giving him a five is because he flat out admitted, and this was a very quick, like, this was quick, his response. Get, um, he's admitted that he was aggressive towards her. Like, it was out of line. And I appreciate him taking responsibility. The reason I can't go all the way is because he hit it with the butt. But he is acknowledging his own trauma in the butt. So I'm going to give him five. He's acknowledging his own trauma in the butt? <laughs> okay. You've had your moments on this podcast, too. Let's wait for the end of our interview with the chief. We are pleasured. Have been pleasured. It's been our pleasure. Let's wait for our end of our interview. Uh, fucked up news alert. Arrest warrant issue for Buffalo Bills linebacker Von Miller for alleged assault of a pregnant person. Goddamn. An arrest warrant was issued for Buffalo Bills linebacker, uh, one of the best players in NFL history, Von Miller, on Thursday in Dallas for allegedly assaulting a pregnant person, according to the Dallas Police Department. Miller and the alleged victim uh, got into a verbal argument whereupon Miller allegedly assaulted the victim based upon preliminary investigations. I fucked that word up preliminary investigations. Dallas police responded to a major disturbance call. He left the scene before officers arrived and uh, the victim was treated for minor injuries and was not transported to an area hospital. This is according to a police statement. Um, There's almost certainly video of this. I can't think of a situation where there wouldn't be. Um, The video is... Why do you say that there's certain to be video? It's, It's tough for there not to be video of things like this now. Unless this happened in the backwoods uh, of of certain of a certain place, if this happened at an apartment complex, some some place, I'm betting that a ring camera. It could have happened it. inside of the complex. It could have happened inside. I'm saying right now that they'd be videoing shit like this, and I know because if it happened I, inside between two people, can I give you an example of all the times that? We got video of things that happened inside of apartments. Or do sure. you want me to? No, I'm not doing it. But it was a lot. Okay. Don't, don't you. So are you saying, are you saying that if there's no video, it didn't happen? 
see what I'm talking about? This is the stuff that's going on. What I'm saying is that right now, I believe that there's probably going to be video that comes out about this. I ain't saying not a goddamn thing about whether or not I believe nothing. But look at you. They're right about you. You're Keith leading me right now. I bet if I was white, saying, there's you a, wouldn't have important. said anything. I'm not saying shit. What I'm saying, I bet you there's some video and this is fucked up. You know, you're Malika. Malika <laughs> Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay Andrews. I like Lindsay Andrews. Like <laughs> Lindsay Andrews. You do it. You just did it. You just did it to me. I can't believe you. Uh, we're going to cover that. It's disgusting. It's fucked up. And I got to be honest with you. Um, I think that Von Miller is going to find out that the, hopefully he does find out uh, if in fact these allegations are true, that there's not the soft bed to land on that there used to be in terms of the assault, uh, assault and, and violence. Um, uh, I, I, these Within leagues a, are under, with athletes, yeah, with athletes. These leagues are under a tremendous amount of pressure. Uh, this is the worst possible thing that can happen for a gentleman like uh, Von Miller. And we will be watching this as more information comes. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You could be doing anything this week, right? You've got work, errands, friends, and a whole lot of fun in between. And that's why the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Out. Rachel, do you look at yourself as a colored person or a black person? Well, I'm a black person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You? Tyler's not. Tyler's not. I'm black. Well, I'm not even not. African-American. I'm not an African-American. I don't like that. Okay, you're black. I'm black too. I like black. Um, Tyler's not. Tyler's, Tyler's also not, not from here. Tyler's from South Africa. Y'all know Tyler. Make me sweat. Make me hotter. Make me lose my breath. Make me water. Oh, shit. Fat boy hit Ooh, that shit note. Shit is right. Fat boy hit that note. <laughs> God damn. Boy, Fat Boy was in his bag old bag of chips. And all that singing that you did, I don't think you got one note right. That's because you're negative. No. It's cause because you're negative. I have an ear for it. I, I can't be honest. Ashley. What if before this we opportunity, get into the Tyler, you have a water bottle and you couldn't you didn't try to hit the dance? You gonna make me you think I'm gonna <laughs> pour this water on myself? You could have done you know, it. No, can't, can't be honest with you. I don't have ass like that. You don't, like, it's I'm, in the back. It's in the back. I know, you don't have but, to have an ass to do that. But first off, have you tried? You sound like no, you tried. But, no, what I'm saying is, <laughs> I don't, like, even when I'm in, like, I got a flat ass. It's, it's, it's like when, even when I'm in great shape, like, my daddy had a flat ass. My daddy before me had a flat ass. It's weird because. Do you wish mom, you had an, an ass? I do. I do. I wish I had, I wish I had that ass like that. Because, like, it, it, to me, it it, it, it puts you in a weird situation to be, a bigger guy with a flat ass because then you get to have the, the crack situation and the crack situation, the ass crack pops out of the jeans because you don't have anything that's buffering that my, my jeans don't sit on my ass. Right. Yeah. And so when I, when I'm at the movies or when I'm leaving like a, a, a football game or something, I always got to get up carefully. Right. <laughs> I got to, I got to tuck my ass in. And then pull my pants up. I got to get up carefully because if not, 
my whole ass will be out to to everybody because you know what I'm saying? And it doesn't this matter what size I'm This is actually very interesting. I had no idea there was this struggle for long back men. I, it is. I did, a, it most certainly is. Like, I, no, I had no idea. No, I believe you. I'm just saying, like, my, my ex was a big guy with, and he had a, a flat back, long back. And I never noticed, I never realized that there was this struggle. Wow. And so it's like, I, I, um, so there's a way to get up you get up in a certain way and you you tuck your shit in and then you you check on your you pull your shit up because if not it's gonna be crazy and it doesn't matter what size I'm at it doesn't I'm matter what size I'm at even when even when or sometimes <laughs> if I'm getting out of the car with someone because you can't really do it when you're getting out of the car your pants are slid down sometimes I'll turn the crack out the window of the car I'll get out ass first to make sure I don't give somebody a face full of ass crack when I'm getting out of the car. It's tough not having no ass. So I can't do the Tyler Water Challenge because you need to have something shaking back there. You don't, actually. It's in the back. What you it's mean in it's back. in the back? Like, I watched, like, her talk about it and give a tutorial. It's it's the movement of your back that makes you move, not like, it's not twerking. It's, it's not a different style of dance. Okay. All I know is that asses be shaking. And if you try to do that and you don't have no ass, it's going to look crazy. That's all I'm saying. All right. So I don't know what she's talking about. But what I do know what she's talking about is the fact like she's not going to she's not going to fucking mind fuck me. I know shit. Long uh, back van. Body shaming? <laughs> no, I'm not body shaming you. Okay, well, hold on, hold on. Body shaming? Helmet head? You want to talk <laughs> like you like you want to You've you been wanna, talking about my head. This is the you first talk time about, I said hey, anything about your hey, body. This, Come is on. I, this is what I'll say. I've left that I've I've left it alone. There have been some times where the shining and glistening has been coming off of your head and I've let it go. The head jokes are old. They like are my head old. is always shining. My head is out <laughs> here. It's big. It's shiny. <laughs> it is. Um, but okay, so Tyler, 21 years old, she's uh, up and coming. She's everywhere now. She's doing her thing. Uh, she's from South Africa. Yeah, she's got a number one hit. She said that she identified as colored with a U, specifically a term that can be used mm-hmm. in South Africa for those of mixed ethnicity. She was asked about her musical influences by Break Room Africa, twenty twenty one. She said, "If you grew up in a colored home, you would know that I grew up listening to a lot of old school R and B. So that definitely has to do with some of my sound." Um, a South African journalist. Amisa, she wrote for Arrow, for Afropunk the following. She goes, colored is a term that identifies a community who have cultivated a culture, language, and overall identity that wasn't related to their segregation, but rather to uh, identify the newly established community. Colored, again, with you, was legally defined as a racial classification during South Africa's apartheid, which lasted from 1948 until the early 90s. It specifically refers to those who are neither white nor among Africa's aboriginal groups. They are regarded as a separate race group in the country alongside those who identify as black, white, and Indian. It does not have the same connotation as it does in America, where it does not feature the you. The community is incredibly diverse and doesn't fit into America's idea of racial binary. Uh, Tyler, for what it's worth, uh, has revealed that her relatives are of Zulu, Indian, and Mauritian? I don't know how to say that. Mauritian. Mauritian descent. So she's colored. She's a colored lady. Tyler, the yeah. colored lady. She's colored. People are mad. They don't like it. They don't like colored. 
They don't like her being a colored. We ain't some colors over here. Colored, <laughs> whites only. Colored people only. No colors allowed. It's triggering. What do you think? Is it triggering to you? I, I no, guess I, don't I care. was a little surprised that this got so much attention. I thought it was, and forgive me for assuming, but I thought it was well understood that that was an identity that existed in South Africa. And I was fully aware that there it was to define mixed race individuals. And I knew of like um, Indian descent as well. So when she, the fact that she defines herself as colored and as you stated specifically with the you, it's not, it doesn't have the same meaning that it has in the States. And I thought that that was common knowledge. And even, and, and, and if it's not, just reading on it, because at first, like, I tried to look it up and I was like, oh, was this created during apartheid? Was this something that they used? And I'm like, no, this is like, a, it's a thing and it's not offensive. So I didn't understand the heat behind it. You? Yeah, of course I understand the heat behind it. What do you mean? What you well, about? Hmm? Give it up. Let's give I it don't up. understand why this is a big deal. It's a big deal because that is a racial identity. It doesn't have the same meaning that it has here. Yeah, it's a, it's a racial big, identity. It, it, it's a big deal because people don't understand that. But it's okay. What if what if we were talking about a different word? What if she came out and said, "I'm of the nigger people." I would look it up. What it I would look up what it meant where she was from. Now, do you think that the fact that you would do that? has any bearing on how people that have a different understanding of the word would deal with it over here. This is my thing. I don't have a problem with this. Once you have the knowledge, it's fine. This reminds me of the Jamie Foxx situation that we were talking about before. The oh, Jamie Foxx situation, Jesus? Jennifer Aniston. Jamie Foxx said they killed, they killed Jesus. So, uh, uh, our, our Jewish brothers and sisters. What do you think they'll upset. do to you? What, what, what they'll do to you? So our Jewish brothers and sisters were upset because they didn't have the cultural information that then lets you understand that that wasn't calling them Christ killers. This is the same thing. It means something different over there. It means something different. It's not the same. I, I have news for everyone. Uh, our skin color doesn't mean that there's this inextricable link to cultural understanding, sayings, and experiences that goes all over the diaspora. I mean, we're linked by a shared, I guess, global expression of who we are, but there are things to where we don't agree, see the same things, uh, look at life the same way. I guess I'd say there is a link, but the link is not completely holistic. Not all things are inextricably linked. Our blackness links us, but beyond that, kind of is what it is, right? Say she's colored. Colored means different over there. By the way, we've had that here. That designation uh, of colored there was a designation of Creole, like in Louisiana, Louisiana, where I'm from. There were white yeah. people, there were black people, and there were Creoles. If you were a Creole, as designated in New Orleans, particularly at a certain point in Louisiana, you were not black but white, but something else. You had more rights than a black person who would be called black or colored in that sense or a nigger or whatever, but you had less rights than a white person. Like a white person could marry a Creole person, but that Creole person might be not be able to take their last name or buy whatever. It was 
things were were based, laws were based on that designation and there was something in between. So it's not foreign to me. It's something that's archaic now in the way that we look at things, but it's not a foreign concept to me because like we had that here in the state where I'm from. That was a did, thing. Did you see outrage once people, like I, I know people were upset when she first said it. Once it was like, hey, this is a term that they use in South Africa. Was that outrage continued? I, I saw outrage on both sides. And um, there's then I would I have do, a problem with it. I do want to call out. I saw outrage on both sides. I saw people that are saying, well, fuck it. Who cares? This is what it means and whatever, whatever. And then I also saw people that were saying, uh, black Americans, you are not the main character and all of that stuff. I can tell you guys something like that. Something. We're having these little cultural diaspora wars and they're all fun. But every time you say that, all I'm going to come back with is that this girl is talking about how black American culture has influenced her. Like, I don't want to get into diaspora wars, but every time, every time something like that is said, I get into, I get on my shit. She's talking about how she's into old school R&B and she's doing this and her music sounds a certain way. Every time we hear like we're not the main character, it's used to diminish us. And I just really don't like that conversation because it's impossible, impossible to diminish the effect of Black American culture on the diaspora and on the world. It's impossible. And that's the only thing that gets the imaginary hairs on my hair, hairs on my head to pop and pop and pop and pop up. Uh, I, I think I agree with you, but I think I, I heard the, that guy, the one that I guess, you know, responded in that way. Uh, that was the most viral clip. I agree with you. I just don't think that that is what hap- is what he meant in this particular way when he talks about Black people being Black Americans thinking that they're the main character. I think it was more of like a dig of what you do in your culture doesn't mean Americans in general doesn't mean that that's the same all around the world. And I think that there's this thought that Americans do have the, the way we do it is how like people who aren't as well-versed or cultured and, and, and what is happening outside of America think that because we do it or what it means here is what it means everywhere else. And I think that's more so what he was saying rather than like shitting on the culture or hmm. to the point that you were making in the sense of like she was talking about her love for black American culture when it comes to the music and the arts. I don't think that that was the same thing here because I agree with you. I hate when that happens, too. And we talked about that on that podcast with other artists from Africa who diminish black American culture and the arts. But in this situation, it was more of like, guys, it's not all about you and this, your your term colored isn't a worldwide definition of it. You got to think bigger than that. And I so I agreed with him in this sense. That's how so I here's my so here's my thing about that. And you're not wrong, but let me tell you the way I look at it. Uh, so there are a couple of things. One is that the use of the term main character uh, conjures the term main character syndrome, which you see all over the the uh the internet main character syndrome there's a whole reddit if you guys want to like uh really <laughs> get like a, a a lot of fun entertainment value about people that they have that have main character syndrome it's, it's a reddit about it go ahead and do it main character syndrome people taping themselves at the gym doing all those they think they're the main character they think they're the main character cool so there's a pejorative connotation to the main character thing there just is 
it means you're too big-headed or whatever. And maybe it's a conversation that needs to be had. It's true. I will say this, though. Tyler is an artist that is leaning into the Afrobeats, the, the melding of traditional R&B and a, a more worldwide sound. But the DNA of her music, in the DNA of her music, is the old-school R&B that she talked about during that interview. That means that a particular set of her fan base that she will be directing her music to, if you look at who she's got on the remix, let's look at who she's got on the Water remix. Let's look. Tyla. Travis Scott. Water remix. Okay, but it's, it's more than just Travis, right? Or is it just Travis? Oh, no, it's featuring Travis Scott. Okay. So she's got Travis Scott on the remix. I heard it was going to be a bunch of different people on the remix and all of that stuff, right? So it's cool, right? She's got Travis Scott on the remix. There's a segment of the society that she is, or the world, should I say, that she is targeting her music to accidentally, but also on purpose, right? If you're going to be an artist like Tyler, you are not going to get very far in your career if you do not have the sign-off of the Black American audience whose music that you're making they, ha- they have a familiarity with it, right? So they have a familiarity with it because it sounds like offshoots and evolution of stuff that they've already heard and stuff that influenced you by your own admission. So if you are talking to them musically and they hear the word colored, they're going to react. So I could also make the, I could also make the, the, uh, the, I could also make the argument that because she is selling music to a specific group or she knows that a specific group is buying her music, that it's her responsibility no. to make sure. Okay. So she's supposed okay. to not, like, not be who she is. She's supposed to define I, herself to American terms because let me she's making the music? Let me finish. Okay, go ahead. Let me finish. Go ahead. That it's her responsibility to make sure that the, like, for example, when Jamie Foxx was talking, Jamie Foxx was talking to his audience his, he's speaking in black language. He's talking to black people, if you ask me. He's talking the way we talk. Now, you can make an argument that maybe he wasn't and other people heard it, whatever. This, to me, is much more direct. And, and using that term, I think it's a good lesson for her to say that, hey, black people are hearing this, black people are understanding this, and the discussion of it is important. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily what I believe. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I could make the argument that we can't get into the whole main character syndrome and situation while people that are selling our music back to us. If we want to talk about what the music is, with people that are selling our music back to us, it starts to get a little annoying to me like when we do that. And by the way, Tyler didn't do that, but a lot of people in the argument did. Okay. Yeah, you don't want... Yeah, no, just agree to disagree. The type of dance she was doing, by the way, is called Bacardi. Bacardi? I knew it started with a B. Bacardi. Bacardi. So you're saying I should try it? I'll do it. I would. I'll do it. Love to I'll, see you do I'll it. wear that. I'll, I'll wear that little gray outfit that she wears as well. Okay. Either you're gonna support me or you're not. You're right. You you know what, Van? You're right. You're right. I'm either gonna support you or I'm not, and I'm gonna support you. Thank you very much. Okay, so here on Higher Learning is our goal to make sure that we take the entire diaspora of American cultural experiences and push them to the forefront. And we are always looking 
to have deeper and more meaningful talks and connections with the indigenous people of America, the native people of America. And we have an excellent opportunity to get some knowledge on that right now as we are joined by Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. He's a Cherokee Nation politician and attorney currently serving as the principal chief of the Cherokee Nation since 2019. We're going to talk a little bit about Native American heritage and how we can be allies, better friends to the Native American and indigenous population. Chief, how are you doing today, man? Thank you for joining us on Higher Learning. Oh, I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on. So my first question is, if there was one thing that you, a leader in your community, would want people to know about your community, the Native or indigenous population here in America, what would that one thing be? You know, if there's one thing I would want Americans to know that Cherokee Nation, like other tribes across the country, are, you know, alive and well, that we're still here. I think a lot of Americans may view Indians and Native Americans through more of a historic lens, which is important. But I think getting an understanding, and this is a great month to do it, that uh, we're doing really, I think, powerful things in society. That's what I want people to know, because then it reminds them that uh, we're still here. Why are we still here? It opens up a lot of conversations, I think, when you talk about contemporary things in Indian country. And this is Native American History Month. It's the last day of the month. Um, What are some initiatives that you guys have been working on this month and bringing to the forefront or some events that have gone on that you can bring to our attention? Well, and these are things that at Cherokee Nation we do, you know, as you can imagine, month in and month out, because our sole focus is uh, making sure that we support the Cherokee people, that we're providing a government that's really progressive and dynamic. And I think that's important to know is that a lot of the initiatives that we undertake for the Cherokee people are things, frankly, that most people in this country, if they learn more about, would say, that's what government ought to be doing. I'm talking about making sure there's a robust safety net, that we're providing education opportunities, taking care of elders, reaching out to people in the shadows. So that's day to day for the Cherokee Nation. But I think this month in particular, an area of focus has been language revitalization. I mean, we in October celebrated another great language gathering of our fluent speakers. And then out of, out of that October month, we go into developing policy. So our deputy chief and I are working right now on some new legislation within our government to make sure that the Cherokee language doesn't die on the vine. And that's a consequence of a lot of federal Indian policy. Um, but we're also focusing on other aspects of life. So healthcare is really important in the Cherokee Nation. Uh, we're really focusing on really tough issues like diabetes and how that really affects Native Americans disproportionately. I mean, that's one of the things that we have to reckon with in this country is a lot of marginalized populations, a lot of minority populations also suffer disproportionately from a lot of health issues. And we have to recognize that in this country, we're doing that at the Cherokee Nation. So those are a couple of the issues we're working on, but it's really a range of public policy matters that we deal with. I mean, just today we signed an agreement with uh, the city of Tahlequah, which is our, uh, our our capital city, but it's a separate municipal government. And so just opportunities to work on the day-to-day work of governing, that's celebrating tribal sovereignty. That's sovereignty in action. And that's what I want Americans to know is we're a functioning government that's doing things every single day. Hmm. Um, there is great talk right now about what the word indigenous means, uh, how you define what indigenous means. For you, what does indigenous mean, Chief? 
Well, I think in the context of the United States, which is most of our frame of reference here, it's the peoples that were aboriginal to this continent, the people that were governing themselves just fine before Europeans got lost on the way and decided they discovered something. Of course, we didn't need discovering. We were governing our affairs just fine before that. That's part of what I think this month should be about. I I said at the top of our talk that it's the contemporary issues that I really want people to know, and that's true. But we have to take this historic look. And so when we're thinking about what does it mean to be indigenous, it's the folks that were here first. And certainly Native peoples were here on this continent. I think exploring that forces the country to understand that if there were people here first, what happened to them? And you go through the history of this country from the age of so-called discovery Uh, through the uh, imposition of the United States on what were indigenous lands, you start to see what that really meant for people, how it was that uh, there are native tribes that uh, just don't exist anymore because they were wiped out due to genocide, due to sickness, due to war. Um, Then you start to think about what happened when this country was founded. And you can look at the Cherokee story, and I think you can see something really interesting. And this is something else I'd like people to know is that indigenous people can adapt and we have adapted. What did Cherokee Nation do, say, in the early 19th century as the government of the United States is growing as a power in the world? We're establishing a democracy that today is a democracy that crosses three centuries, which happens to make us one of the oldest democracies in existence today. I don't want to get too far afield, but we're living in a time in which the very concept of democracy being sustainable is a really important conversation in this country. You can look at the Cherokee Nation, you can trace that back to that early 19th century period in which we were trying to draw strength from within to resist the United States, to not succumb to what other tribes had unfortunately succumbed to and were wiped out. So that's what it means to be indigenous, resilient, adaptable, here first and still here and relevant to this larger conversation about what America ought to look like, what it ought to be. Yeah, you know, we're you you talk about democracy and kind of where we are now and it's it's a very weird and interesting time. And um we're seeing right now as far as education is concerned where people are trying to rewrite history. And um I'm wondering if you and you touched on it a little bit can discuss like the historic discrimination that tribal communities have faced, particularly Cherokee Nation and then just maybe some of the current issues as well like social, uh, social economic or socioeconomic disparities, natural resources, protecting tribal lands and why it's important to continue that conversation as we're seeing legislation try to rewrite that history. Well, I'll tell you what, your use of the phrase weird and interesting is about as apt as we could put it, right? (laughs) I mean, in terms of where we are, because here's where we are, it seems to me, and this is from my vantage point as chief of the largest tribe in the country. So I I get the great opportunity to kind of delve into these issues from time to time. There's a lot of hunger in the country to understand where we came from collectively as a country, to explore communities that have been marginalized. That's really healthy. And I see that. I see it particularly in the generation coming up. And that gives me a great deal of hope. I think, and it's no coincidence, I see a great deal of pushback. And of course, we all see it. We can see it in the form of the phony, contrived, uh, critical race theory, uh, supposed controversy that's in schools. No, no one can seem to define it uh, in the terms of public schools, but they sure think it's doing some sort of damage to uh, what America is. What's really doing damage to America right now, though, is denying this generation of really 
hungry minds that want to learn, that want to explore, that want to create an America that's even better than the one that they were born into, which is what we all want to ought to want to do, by the way, that really denying them what they ought to have, which is the, the full depth and breadth of the American experience and history, the dark chapters, the great chapters, all of it. In the context of Indian country, and, and what a month to be talking about this, we have to look straight forward at the, at the fact that there were, as I said, people governing themselves just fine before Europeans got lost along their way, before the United States was founded, before states like Oklahoma, before anyone ever heard of an Oklahoma, there were Indian people governing themselves, and that there's a great deal of injury done, a great deal of dispossession, a great deal of oppression, a great deal of discrimination, all because people in this country that dominated this country believed that what was here in terms of resources, in terms of jurisdiction, in terms of sovereignty was there and it was somehow handed down by God for them to just have. And, and we think mm -hmm. that's wrong. And I think we're ought to be living in a day and age in which we can examine that. If we get down to the specifics, we can think about the Cherokee experience. We were forcibly removed from our homeland after we stood up a great democracy in the 19th century, after we built our society based on the rule of law, after we said, look, we're going to be a government among governments, this country, which supposedly prized democracy, wiped us across the map, broke treaties, violated law, violated doctrine. Uh, and that is a part of history that we ought to be examining. If we can't have that discussion in this country, particularly in the classroom, then I fear we're going to have a generation coming up that may not visit another Indian removal on Native Americans, but may erode so much of the progress we've made in the latter part of the 20th century, here in the first quarter of the 21st century, to the point where tribes once again become viewed as some historic relic that treaties that the United States signed are just dusty books in a library or a museum, and that we really shouldn't be concerned about the living and breathing rights of Native peoples that are still here, or their resources, or their ability that was handed down by the Creator to self-identify and govern our own affairs. I mean, that's ought to be what this country celebrates. I'm very concerned right now, but I'm very hopeful when I talk to young people in particular that they're not going to stand for it, that they are hungry, that they're going to bypass so much of this whitewashing of history. Uh, but we've got to give them ways to learn about it. And at Cherokee Nation, we're trying to do that. We're getting into the film and TV industry. We're telling our own story. We're using the resources that we're developing to not only educate our own citizens, but also try to tell our story to the world. That gives me a lot of encouragement. Yeah, I mean, I think the... Uh what you just said a second ago is incredibly key in terms of film, TV, and media and the portrayal of Native people in such. I mean, we're seeing right now Killers of the Flower Moon, um, which obviously talks about those sage people and what they went through. Uh, and there's been reactions on both sides to that in terms of what the movie has in it, how the violence against Native people in the movie is portrayed, uh, and what's being affected by the storytelling. Throughout the history of this country, we've seen various images of Native people, and we still don't seem to have anything that gives us a comprehensive understanding of the past or the present. I mean, there's some great shows out now, Reservoir Dogs, other places, uh, excuse me, Reservation Dogs, should I say, other, other shows like that, uh, that, that that get into it a little bit more. But what would you like to see on screen, Chief? What would you like to see reflected? How would you like to see that story told? Because the United States has done a tremendous propaganda job um, on Native people in with the way they've been portrayed in film and TV. 
Mm-hmm. There has this entire discussion, of course, occurs against the backdrop of more than a century of a popular culture that was meant to caricature minority populations. And, and in the case of Native peoples, uh, tell a different story, uh, do it in an inauthentic, uh, you know, quick way that was just an efficient way to get a movie uh, out the door. That's a long period of time to have to make a correction. I do try to be a sort of a half glass full type person at this point because I see progress. I mean, people mm-hmm. need to see themselves in popular culture, particularly people that have been marginalized for so long. And that's a lot of people in this country, a lot of different uh, diverse uh, classifications of people. But what I want to see is more opportunities for indigenous people to tell their own story. In the case of Killers of the Flower Moon, yeah, there, there are people that have different takes on that uh, film. But I think the most important thing for me is that the story's being told. There's a conversation in this country that wasn't happening before, that Native peoples had an involvement in that story. Uh, and then it was done on a grand scale. It doesn't mean it's perfect. We shouldn't put all of our hopes and dreams uh, on one movie, even if it's done by Martin Scorsese. I mean, we, we ought to understand that there's a progression in this country, that we've got to keep pushing. And I think this is one way to push it. Reservation dogs being a, a, a something that the people in the country celebrated and wanted to explore, that's progress. That's exploring a part of modern, contemporary Native society that people need to know about and get some thinking about uh, how those circumstances depicted in that show came about. That's healthy in this country. But I think having more Indigenous filmmakers, storytellers is the way we're going to do this and keeping up the pressure on Hollywood to respect us, but not just pointing fingers at them, saying you should respect us, being a resource and so very thoughtful creators who may not be Native American want to come to us and say, show us how, tell us where we went wrong. That's happening more and more, not just because of the Cherokee Nation, but I'm proud of the fact that we stood up a film office, got some of our talented people behind it, put some resources into creating our own studio, Uh, And we become that resource. And so what I see is an opportunity to help Hollywood tell the story more authentically, more responsibly, and to more important, see a lot of these young Cherokees that I see around the reservation, around this area that I'm in, in Tahlequah Capital, and know that they can see it, that they can see themselves making a movie. They can see themselves being in a movie. They can see themselves writing a movie, and we can give an opportunity to do it. It's not just talk. That gives me hope. And so I want to see that. And I think we're going to see that increasingly. I love that. Now, I'm going to ask a question. And I'm, I am so sorry if it sounds silly, but I, it would be remiss of me not to ask because I, I want, as, a, as an ally and fans, stop making faces. As, an ally, as, as allies, and we, we want to make sure that we're continuing to learn. I have heard you use the phrase Native American and Indian. Can, like, what is acceptable to be able to say? Because I, you know, I thought we like Indian is not an acceptable form to you. So I want to be clear. And I've heard you use both. Right. And I'm not particularly picky about that. Uh, my view is uh, where's a person's heart? Where are they coming from? What's their intention? And if they you know, use either of those words and I use them interchangeably, uh, that's not a particularly bothersome thing for me. I, I like to hear Native American, but you can even dissect that word and start to take some issues with it. Indian obviously is born out of the very idea that the Europeans didn't know where they were going or who they were encountering. And so that name has stuck. Uh, I don't want to diminish the idea that terms uh, matter. They do matter. I think most Native leaders that I uh, work with aren't particularly bothered by either of those terms. They're 
is still, though, in this country, some very concerning things in terms of depictions and labels and mascots. I think is our attention's better focused on. I mean, the fact that there's no Washington Redskins anymore is progress in this country. The mm-hmm. fact that there was into the 21st century is troublesome. Not the only troublesome thing in this country in terms of uh, the wrong words and racist depictions. But uh, those are the things where I put my focus. I, I don't get particularly hung up in Native American or Indian. And I think you're in good shape either way from my perspective. So I got two Thank questions. Um, one is just a curiosity for me. And then one is a more holistic question for, for you, Chief. Um, so we've seen that, right? We've seen the Indians change their mascot. We've seen the Redskins get rid of their mascot. They turn, the team is now, uh, in, in, in Cleveland is called the Guardians and the team in Washington is the Commanders. But we've seen other mascots that have native ties, the Braves, the Chiefs, the Seminoles. Are those less pejorative because they're not using pejorative terms or do they in a way still perpetuate some negative stereotypes about Native people that you would like to see going? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I think we'd be disingenuous if we didn't acknowledge there was a spectrum. I mean, there's some uh, uh, team names that are not as offensive as the Redskins. I mean, that's demonstrably a racist term, and you can go through the history and just just show it. Um, I think we need to get to a point in this country where we're not depicting people as mascots. And we're not taking what we perceive to be aspects of a culture that's really just a convenient marketing tool and saying we're honoring Indians because uh, we've got Braves on the side of our helmet. That's not that, that, that in this day and age, I don't think is a particularly honorable thing to do. It's a big country. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of high schools and little teams and they have names. And then you go up to the college ranks and then you go up to the pro ranks. It's going to take a while to get to the point in this country where I think we don't have people or their cultures depicted as mascots. There's lots of other ways to do that. I don't go out and try to police every single one of these, or that's what I would spend my entire days doing. But I do find those opportunities. The Redskins was one of them having conversations about tomahawk chops and how that's not something that particularly honors any tribes that I know, uh, and have those conversations so that the country gets to the point. we got a responsibility to bring each other to that point, not just always scold. I, I try to strike a balance, but I do think there's a spectrum. I think our focus ought to be on the most offensive depictions. Mm. Um, last question for me. Uh, well, first of all, before I even get to there, do you consider the tomahawk chop to be a racist gesture? Um, I think it's a diminishing gesture because I don't think it's particularly tied to some identifiable tribal culture, but it is held up as such. And if if we want to educate people in this country about what Native Americans are, that doesn't do it. And I think it does uh, diminish a bit and, and make it a bit of a caricature what it means to be a Native American in this country. We're talking about Heritage Month. You are... <laughs> such an amazing ambassador um, culturally. What do you want the future of Native Americans um, in this in this country to be? What do you see the future of, of, of your people, of your tribe, and of Native Americans uh, from sea to sea being in this country? What's a, what's a win? Well, a win in the future is securing rights that have been denied and resources that have been stripped over centuries. And I think we can do it in this century. And I think we're positioned to do it because of the legal landscape, which is 
slightly more favorable than it was, say, a century ago. And because of the strength of tribes, here's what I know. When the government of the United States has taken its boot off the neck of the Cherokee Nation, we've done incredible things. We did it before Europeans came here. We've done it during different times when the United States has had a more enlightened federal Indian policy. The opposite is true when we've been suppressed. We're in a century now where notwithstanding setbacks here and there, we're on a progression to do things like assert historic treaty rights. So right now we're asserting a right to a delegate in Congress. The United States wrote this treaty in uh, the 1830s and then they wanted to forget about it. We're not going to let them forget about it in this century. We're going to secure that right. Natural resources. We're going to assert more dominion over natural resources, making sure public safety is something that we are in charge of because that's what any people ought to be able to do is protect themselves and protect the vulnerable. That's what this century can be. That's what I want to see. Economic strength such that you don't see parts of Indian country where there is 80% unemployment, uh, really a, just embarrassing and abhorrent and horrible suicide rates in some parts of Indian country. That has to mm. end. This country has to have a reckoning in terms, it's got to reconcile what happened and make it right in terms of resources and, and, and the, the uh, acknowledgement of rights. That's what I want to see. It's real concrete stuff that I want to see. A lot of the other things are really important. It all goes together, our depictions in popular culture, the respect that we should be paid. But where the rubber hits the road is really about economics. It's about legal rights. It's about restoration. And we've got to get it in this century. And I think we can get it in this century. As individuals, how can we be better allies? Well, I think what you are doing and what your audience is doing, engaging, is really important. We need more of that in this country. It's a big country. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to explore. But I think taking some time, particularly as families, to think about, particularly with young people, what are Native Americans? What were they doing before America was founded? What are they doing today? Those simple questions can lead to discussions that can enlighten some of these really hungry minds that are going to be running this place, you know, here when you and I are all uh, gray-haired and retired. And they're going to do it better. They're going to do better than we did. But I think if we have those conversations now, very simple questions. Who are Native Americans? What were they doing before America came here? What are they doing today? Oh, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to unpack. And we can all have a part in that. So just explore that. Be curious about it. Well, we will definitely do that. And we are pleasured. Have been pleasured. It's been our pleasure. I said that weird the first time. <laughs> um, to, to have had you on the show, Chuck. Um, Thank you. And we'll look forward to having you again, man. And and I hope that everybody uh, got something and feels connected to um, and really advocates for uh, Native American people here um, in America and indigenous people all, all over the world. Thank you for joining us on Higher Learning, man. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Whatever. All right, Rach, it, it's almost time to go. I want to send love to Ari Lennox, who just went. Ari Lennox stood on business. One woman mm -hmm. army. Mm -hmm. Someone threw a bottle at her. Uh, on the stage and this is what she did.
shit all the way the fuck up. Yeah. Don't you ever disrespect a beautiful black woman on the fucking stage like that. I will fucking fuck you up. Did they find did out they, who did it? <laughs> no, they cut her mic after that because I think I think Ari was about to go some places. That... <laughs> I didn't realize they cut her mic. Yeah, it looks like they cut her mic. It looks like they cut her mic because it, it, I can't tell. I don't want to say, but it looks like they cut her mic because it looked like Ari was about to. She was like she was about to make somebody water with her words. You know what I mean? I mean, like she, she was, was already there. <laughs> it's just. The contrast of how, first off, she has a sweet voice, soothing voice when she talks. She has a mm-hmm. beautiful singing voice. I love her. And to hear her go from one end to the other, it just made me love her so much more. <laughs> telling you, I'm her. telling you guys, two female lady singers that I don't fucking play about, man. I'm protecting Rihanna all day. I'm protecting Ari Lennox to the motherfucking nth degree. Ari Lennox is a sensation, a, a beautiful, talented survivor. I see, I don't know, man. I see a lot of myself in Ari Lennox. I don't know why, man. I don't, I don't know why. Like, you know, she she takes her health very seriously. She's very, she wears a heart on her sleeve, the whole nine. And she's pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing uh, in an industry that sometimes pushes back. Fuck with Ari Lennox, though. The long way. Don't throw bottles at Ari Lennox. Don't throw bottles at black women, period. But don't throw bottles at Ari Lennox. I guess she's on a tour with Rod Wave and maybe maybe, maybe some fans in there. I don't know what was going on. But don't, don't come at Ari Lennox like that. We'll fuck you up behind Ari Lennox, man. We really will. We'll fuck you up behind Ari Lennox. We'll fuck you up behind LSU. Jaden Daniels for Heisman Trophy. You know what I'm saying? Jaden Daniels. He could he could win it. You hate you hate on him? You hate on the black I kid? don't think he can win it. I think he will be a finalist. He will be a finalist. He can win. All we need is a bad performance on Saturday from 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 the white man. You but you want the white dude to win the Heisman. I bet you do. Malika I didn't Lindsay. say that. Here you now here you go, putting words in the mouth. Lindsay, L- Lindsay Andrews. That. I'm gonna do a Des Bryant rant <laughs> on you. Let's go. Hey, Let's protect go. Malika Andrews, man. These are all jokes. Malika, I, it's I, enough. Keep keep doing your thing. God damn it. All right, keep doing How we go from... I'm out. I'll take a thing, Captain Talk, but do not stop learning. Thank you to Chief Chuck Hoskins for joining us on the show today. Junior. Uh, I'm Van Lathan Jr. Um, I'm Lindsay Andrews. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>